Good afternoon. We are together again for our wonderful uh, Erev Shabbat Friday afternoon Torah class with Rabbi Akiva Zweig, Rosh Yeshiva at the Talmudic University of Florida, and the spiritual spearhead of the Hemisphere Torah Learning Program. Today, we are proud to announce that this year is going to be the Henry and Lisa Manusheri Parsha Shir. We want to thank them for this dedication and for their commitment of bringing this wonderful Torah experience to our community. The rabbi is going to be speaking today about Parsha's Vayetze, the real land of Israel, and the topics of becoming angelic, becoming warriors, and becoming stars. The month of Kislev is sponsored by Alex and Hava Man and family in honor and appreciation of all the women learning initiatives in presidential estates in Aventura. This week's class is also lovingly dedicated in honor of Donna Tanjir's birthday, Mazal Tov. She's a wonderful contributor and, 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 uh, and supporter of our Wednesday class at 9.30 a.m. Eastern time. For those of you that can attend, it's a spectacular class. We want to also let everybody know that the rabbi will be scholar in residence, not this Shabbat, but the following Shabbat for Parshas Vaishas yes. in the young Israel of, uh, uh, of uh, Bell Harbor. And uh, without any further delay, Rabbi Akiva Zweig on Parshas Vayetze. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Shabbos, everyone. Can everyone see me and hear me okay? Perfect. Thank you, yes. Ari, for the introduction. Uh, thank you to Henry for not only joining us, but actually I can attest firsthand how he let his community know that, look, I've been attending this year for 14 months now, and many of you said you were going to join. Talk is cheap. Put your talk into action. And so we do have some new attendees today. And I also want to mention that in addition to having a great time with Henry uh, personally at his home, we had a terrific Shabbos in L.A. Uh, a lot of things came out from that that I'm currently working on. Um, Rabbi Nakeman arranged that I should speak at a few different high schools. I've gotten very positive feedback even today uh, from those talks. And um, my purpose in really mentioning all this is that we have the power to spread Torah. And if anybody wants, I'm going to give you an example of an article that was written by a shul rabbi in Cincinnati, based on a class that he attended last week, that he posted to his community. And part of it, of course, is to spread Torah to more people. So I strongly urge, encourage, and I guess push all of you to do a lot more to push, cajole, convince, encourage more Torah learning from all the people that you know, those that are learned, those that are not learned, those that are strongly affiliated, those that are less affiliated, we can really make a difference if we really change what we do to make a positive impact. So I really thank Henry for doing this job today, but also encouraging all of you to continue that work. I should also mention um, 
Philip, I hope you don't mind that I say this. Uh, Sunday morning, we did a class at the at the Kolel, the Yachat Kolel, where I was hosted this past Shabbos in L.A. And it was a very, um, very dynamic, uh, interactive class. And after the class, people were talking about that maybe I should come back and speak to the husbands and the wives and all these things. And so somebody turns to Philip and says, yeah, tell Henry he has to arrange this. And Philip looks at them, why Henry? Put your money where your mouth is. You do it. So the point is, we all need to encourage everyone because the Torah sells itself, as my father always has taught us. And it's really the panacea that the Jewish people need at this time. Uh, other classes have started uh, that I never expected when I've delivered this message to other people. I encourage you not only to bring people to this class, start your own Torah classes. You know way more than you think you do. Encourage other people to do other classes, etc. We just need Torah to be studied. Okay. Speaking of which, Parshas Vayetze. There are some remarkable features of Parshas Vayetze that actually extend into other Parshios as well. So what I'm going to share today is hopefully going to be a little bit eye-opening information because I know for me, when I realized it, it was pretty surprising. Now, it could be that some others on this call have realized this earlier, but here it is. In the Torah, we have two kinds of separations. One is called the Pesucha and one is called the Setuma. A Pesucha means that when a big break in the Torah between subject matters are required, wherever the, the word ends, the rest of the line is blank. That means to say that the Torah leaves a big open space and begins a brand new big topic that's completely, or mostly, I should say, separated from the topic before. My father would generally refer to this as a chapter break. When you have a lesser break in the Torah, it's called a situma. A situma means, okay, it's kind of like a paragraph break. So basically, if you're looking to, you know, at a Torah scroll, or if you're looking to understand what's considered one topic in the Torah with maybe some subset paragraph breaks, you need to find the psucha, where it begins, and where the next psucha starts, right? So you need to find the first psucha, and where it ends, and where the next psucha starts. Now, incredibly, the psucha of our parsha begins in Parsha's Toldos, and does not end until the end of Parsha's Vayetze. So briefly, I'll just tell you the topics that are included in this big category. The topics are that there was a famine in the land and Yitzhak was apparently going to go down to Egypt where Hashem told him, no, you can't go down to the land of Egypt like your father. Avraham did stay in this land because I'm going to give you this land. I'm going to give all these different lands that you see. I'm going to fulfill the promise that I made to your father. I'm going to increase your children. I'm going to give to your children these lands. You got to stay in this land. And Yitzhak stays in the land. And of course, he has the episode with his uh, wife and Avimelech noticing that they're acting as husband and wife and Avimelech calling him out on that and then Yitzchak becomes fabulously wealthy in that land he plants agriculture and he receives a 100 fold increase of what he planted or or at least what he should have uh, you know gotten in return and then there's the story with the wells that he digs and the ones that Avraham that he 
dug up again. And then eventually there's a treaty made between him and Avimelech. And then Esau, we find, gets married when he's 40 years old and that his wives are a bitter spirit to Yitzchak and to Rivka. And then we have the major incident of the blessings where Yaakov dresses up like Esau. Yaakov ends up with the blessings. Esau is very hurt and angry and he hates Yaakov. But nonetheless, Yitzchak gives him a bracha as well. And then we have that Yaakov needs to run away. He needs to run away to Lavan and stay there for all what ends up being 20 years as we find that in our parsha. This is all the same category. This is all the same sucha. But it goes on. The rest of our entire parsha is the same sucha. That means the dream with the ladder, where, the, where Yaakov sees the angels going up and down. And Yaakov and his you know, meeting with the shepherds and telling them to take care of their sheep. And Yaakov meeting Rachel and Leah. And Yaakov negotiating to marry Rachel, ending up with Leah, and then ending up with Rachel also and staying there for 14 years and then another six years besides. And then Yaakov running away from Lavan. And everything that happens with Lavan trying to trick him and then Lavan chasing after him, it's all the same psucha. And where it ends is really odd, which is the end of our parsha, that after Lavan kisses his family and children goodbye, Yet Lavan goes back home to his place and Yaakov goes on his way and Yaakov encounters angels of Hashem. When Yaakov sees them, he says, hey, this is the camp of God. And he calls the name of the place Machanayim. Close curtain. That's the end of the Psucha. Now, it would make sense to me on a, a much more simple level if we began the Psucha if we began this entire conversation with the birth of Yaakov and Esau, and you would conclude this psucha with the confrontation between Yaakov and Esau and their eventual agreeing and parting of the ways without killing each other, that would kind of make sense to be one story. But it doesn't do that. First, we have the birth of Yaakov and Esau and the sale of the birthright, and that ends. That's over in the Torah. The Torah then begins a new psucha, a new chapter, and it talks about Yitzchak and the famine going down to Egypt and all the things that I just recounted to you. And it concludes before the confrontation between Yaakov and Esau with this really odd story in the Torah where Yaakov sees a bunch of angels and he says, hey, let's call this place Machanaim. Rashi parenthetically even says that what's Machanaim? That there were two camps, Machanaim in general in Hebrew when you have in like yim at the end, like pa'amayim, it's two times. Right? So machanayim is two camps. What are the two camps? The camp of angels of outside of Israel, the camp of angels of inside the land of Israel. Doesn't say much, just a Yaakov Mitzim calls them to, oh, there's two camps. It's very odd. It's very odd by itself. And what's more astonishing is that somehow that's the end of all these events that we just recounted. Now, it's to be clear, this is not a King James insertion of how to break down the Bible. The typical chapters and verses, which are originated uh, by the translators, you know, the, the non-Jewish translators of the Torah, that's typically what we call chapter and verse. But when we call psucha, I mean, verse, not exactly, but the numbers of the verses, but anyways, what we call a psucha is a halacha misina. It's the way Hashem told us to write the Torah. There should be this amount of spaces at this amount of time. One indicates a smaller break. One indicates a bigger break. 
So the obvious question is, what is the idea behind all of this being one major topic? How do we somehow combine this into one major theme? And then on top of that, that outside of that major theme, most of which is about Yaakov and Esau, doesn't include the sale of the, the birth of Yaakov and Esau and the sale of the, of the birthright. And it does not include the confrontation between Yaakov and Esau, which is the next week's parsha. Somehow that's not part of this one major theme. And that's very, very, very difficult to understand. That's one major question. It takes a while to explain. That's where we're at. The second question is as follows, and I hope I'm explaining the question well enough. If I did not explain the question clearly, maybe somebody could tell me and I can repeat, but hopefully I, uh, hopefully I did. Now, the second question, which is also kind of, um, to me, a very surprising question, and that is, that when Yitzchak, at the beginning of this psucha, he wants to go down to Mitzrayim, Hashem says, no, don't go down. Don't go down. Don't go down to Mitzrayim. Stay in the land that I'm going to tell, that I show you because I'm going to give you and your children this land. I'm going to fulfill the promise that I made with Abraham. I'm going to increase your children very, very much. I just want to ask, it's really going to sound like a stupid question, but nonetheless, why is that a reason not to leave the land temporarily? I don't understand. Hashem also promised to give Avraham the land, and Avraham was allowed to leave the land. Hashem promises Yitzchak that Yaakov is going to get the land, and he's allowed to leave the land. Why is Hashem stopping Yitzchak from leaving the land because he's going to give the land to Yitzchak's children and to Yitzchak? What does it do with anything? A lot of us own property, and we leave the property, and then we come back. And even if we don't come back, it doesn't mean we don't own the property. What does it have to do with anything? So, great. Uh, I get it. You want to tell me, oh, well, Eretz Yisrael is really special. Yeah, Eretz Yisrael is really special. Nobody should ever leave there unless they have to leave there. There was a famine. It makes sense to leave. Now, there is Chazal and Rashi that say that the reason that Yitzchak cannot leave the land is because he was offered to be a sacrifice at the Akedah, which gives him a level of sanctity that means that outside of the land of Israel is not appropriate for Yitzchak to be in that environment, Yitzchak needs to be in the land of Israel. Great. The only problem is that's not what Hashem says. Hashem doesn't say, Yitzchak, you're an Ola, so don't go down. Hashem says, don't go down because I'm going to give you this land. I'm going to increase your children. You're all going to get this land. Okay, great. But why is that an explanation of why not to go down? So based on these two questions, and then obviously there's a lot more to discuss, about our parsha, parsha Svayetzei, we're going to build a theme, and the theme is going to be built on this idea of the heaven and earth. So let's just talk a little bit about the heaven and earth in the following way. First of all, in a very astonishing observation that Yaakov Avinu makes in our parsha is when he experiences the dream at the beginning of parsha Svayetzei, where he sees angels going up and down the ladder. He says, oh, this is the house of Hashem. This is the gateway of heaven. This is the house of God. It's the gateway of heaven. That's Yahuwah Avinu's very clear, but nonetheless amazing observation. Also, the bracha that Yaakov gets from Yitzchak is, Hashem Elokim, Mital Hashemayim 
You should get from the dew of the heaven and from the fat of the earth. And then, of course, we have what seems to be really kind of a divergence in the Torah of this obsession with angels. We have the angels that are going up and down the ladder, and we have the angels that are that are mentioned at the end of the Pasha of the two camps of angels. That's the Pasha Pshat. He encounters the angels of Hashem, and there are two camps of them. And as we pointed out, the Ad nature of that is it doesn't say much about them other than he encounters them so what is going on with the angels at this point in the torah and an equally important point is that we don't really find much about angels in the rest of the torah so we have a high concentration of them here notwithstanding the story with abraham and those angels for the most part i'm talking about we don't find this kind of explicit discussion regarding angels in most of the Torah. So what is it about this psucha that we described that includes the Shemaim and the Aretz, the gateway to the heaven, and angels in several places? Everybody hear the kind of theme that seems to be running through a lot of these sentences. So I would like to suggest, based on an incredible commentary of the Rush, that I'm not going to get too heavily into this because, believe me, it's much more intensive and even deep than what it's going to sound like right now. But just to know the commentary of the rush is probably enough for our purposes. At the end of Parshish Beratius, the Torah describes that there were these people or these beings, I should say, that fell and that they existed on earth at that time. The sentence, is, or the sentence exists at the end of Parshish Beratius, chapter... Six, sentence four. Chapter six, sentence four. The Nephilim, which means those that fell, were in the land in those days. And after this also, these children of Elohim, really Elohim maybe, it's not so clear how to translate it in the sentence, they consorted with girls and gave birth, and they are always known as the warriors and the people of fame. That's what the sentence says. It's a pretty cryptic sentence. Simply the way Rashi understands is that these were you know, people of, of noble standing, the children of officers and judges, or alternatively says Rashi that these were the angels of Hashem that were sent from heaven on God's mission, and they were basically integrating with mankind. Now, the theme of the Torah at that point is that mankind is failing and the flood is about to come. So what is this sentence doing at this juncture? And the answer is that, according to the rabbis, there were these angels that went to Hashem and said, listen, we told you, Hashem, it's not a good idea to create man because man is going to fail. We'll never be able to maintain the morals and the ethics that are necessary because of his wicked nature. Mankind is going to fail. So really, Hashem, it doesn't make sense to create the world for man. So Hashem, at this point, when man was failing, sends the angels to kind of, uh, you know, see what they can do, if they can do better than man. Now, this is the commentary of the Rush that I'm mentioning to you now. A lot of what I said is Midrash. 
Some of it is the pshat, meaning that maybe they, these were the people of, of uh, significant stature and they also were consorting immorally with the daughters of man. But either way, the point is right now for this rush, which says that at that time, these angels, they propositioned a certain woman to have relations with her. And the woman said, I'll have relations with you if you give me your wings. Angels are supposed to have wings. I'll have relations with you if you give me your wings. So the angels say, okay. So they give the woman the wings. And then the woman takes those wings, flies up to heaven and becomes the constellation Virgo as in virgin. Because she does not want to consort with these angels. Now, I know that sounds completely, literally outlandish and otherworldly, but this commentary is one of our most respected commentaries, both in the, the Chumash and in the Talmud, right? So we have to try to understand it a little bit uh, on a different level if we want to take it seriously. But to cap off this incredible commentary, says the Rush that these angels were stranded here on earth because they didn't have their wings until Yaakov has a dream with a ladder so they can go up the ladder without wings in our Parsha. Yeah. <laughs> Now, isn't that a fun commentary? That's what he says. So what in the world is he talking about? I mean, okay, listen, it's nice to have good stories, but how does this help elucidate what's going on in the Torah? What are we supposed to learn from any of it? Blah, 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 right? So my suggestion is really quite simple. We have to remember that man, human being, is created from the heaven and the earth. That is all over the place, certainly in Rashi, in Beratius, but even in the sentences, God breathes into man a breath of life. Okay, so man is created from the earth, as the Torah describes, but also this only one where the Torah says, oh, great question. Uh, great question, Dr. Horowitz. Yes, we have to say these angels survived the flood. Beautiful question. Love it. Beautiful question. Um, so point is, is that man is created from both the heaven and the earth. Now, simply put, man's job is to assert his heavenly side over his earthly side so that he lives an exalted, dignified, regal existence that reflects being created in the image of God. Now, we don't have to do deep philosophy on physicality and spirituality. We don't have to do that today. We just have to understand that the goal of man is that his head should rule his body. One of the significant physical distinctions between men and animals is that animals typically, for the most part, their head and their backside are on the same plane. It's just like which side you're looking at. But the head is not actually ruling the lower aspect of the animal. It, sometimes it eats and sometimes it does the opposite right? That's an animal. But a human being, the head is on top because the human being is supposed to be able to assert control over his physical body. That's part of what I believe the Torah means by man being created in the image of Hashem, whereas other beings are not. I'm just saying that's a, a piece of it. The point is that when man is failing, God turns to the angels and says, okay, you claim that you can do better, go do better. Now they don't do any better because they get down to earth and they proposition the 
the women, just like the rest of mankind at that time, the Torah describes that they were taking any women that they wanted, they were being completely immoral, the world was becoming destroyed, and that's the end of that story. But the bottom line is that this is a litmus test in creation over the question, can man succeed to be the regal, dignified image of Hashem being that he's supposed to be or not? Or is God, so to speak, going to have to resort to angels fulfilling the purpose of creation? And the answer, of course, is man will succeed. Man will succeed. But first, you're going to have a flood and Noah and his children. And not all of Noah's children are going to succeed. And then you're going to have Avraham and his children. Not all of his children are going to succeed. And then you're going to have Yitzchak. And not all of his children are going to succeed either. But then you're going to have Yaakov. And all of his children are yes going to succeed. So as soon as Yaakov embarks on a journey to actually, don't take this the wrong way, people, temporarily stop being in Kolel and go build a family, the angels go back up to heaven. Because the gateway to heaven is now accessible with Yaakov's journey to Lavan's house. And he sees that. That's the dream. The angels are going up. There are other angels coming down. We'll talk about the end angels in a moment, in a couple of minutes. Uh, you know, the angels that he sees on the at the end when he comes back into Eretz Yisrael. But the point is that what the rush is really kind of incredibly mind-blowingly opening our eyes is that we have to understand that the vision of what mankind is supposed to be is being actualized through specifically Yaakov and his undertaking to build a family and based on that, this is the beginning of open the por opening the portal to the heaven. Now, for sure, in the future, that place is the Holy of Holies, where we have the Ark, and we have this ongoing miracle with the Ark that it doesn't take up any space and any measuring. Right? It's very clear that that specific location on planet Earth is a tremendous place where we can begin to see otherworldly types of realities, experience them even in this world, and that's called the portal to heaven. That makes sense. So that's what the idea of the angels who lost their wings through what their misdeed was, okay, they're also no longer needed. That experiment is over. Man will succeed, man in the form of Yaakov, which is why the rabbis teach us that the face depicted on the heavenly throne and on the chariot of Hashem is the face of Yaakov Avinu. He represents this paragon of man. Okay, good. So what does this have to do with the theme? What are we talking about with Yitzchak and Yaakov? And it begins with the story of, of Hashem telling Yitzchak, don't go down to Egypt. Yitzchak played an incredibly important role in making that place the portal to heaven. Because by allowing himself to be a sacrifice, in a way that made no sense, seemingly, to the human mind, that God would want Avraham to slaughter the son that he said will be the future of Avraham and ultimately the Jewish people, by willingly allowing himself to be used in whatever way God determines for him, he became the first person to actually elevate himself to being the one who is now a combination of the heavenly and earthly qualities. Now, it so happens to be 
that his children wouldn't all carry that on. We know about Esav. And that's why a major part of the story and that psucha is where Hashem tells him, listen, Yitzchak, it's becoming concretized in this moment that you cannot leave Eretz Yisrael. You know why? Because you, as being this elevated human being, have really concretized what the land of Israel is supposed to be, and therefore don't go down to Egypt because you represent this unique aspect of being able to elevate yourself to such an incredibly high level, which is what your legacy is going to achieve, which is why your children are getting this land, which is the place in this physical universe that is able to access the heaven. Now, a lot of us could be thinking, I'm just going to continue just five more minutes, a little bit more than usual, just so we can finish this uh, you know, completely. A lot of us are probably thinking, okay, what does it mean for Israel to be heaven? What does it mean that it's a portal to the, you know, the other world? What does it mean that Yitzchak elevates himself to such an extent that, that Yaakov through his children are, is now going to be the fulfillment of the ultimate human being? It's actually both incredibly complex and deep and also simple. Let's just use one very simple way to think about it. Being creative and being inventive is a human imagination quality that animals do not possess. The most creative, inventive people in the world are the Jews. That kind of thinking, that kind of creativity comes directly because we are accessing the heavenly aspect of man, the part of man that connects to Hashem. That's where all that genius is able to emerge because it's really spiritual inspiration and innovation. That's a simple way to think about what is the spirituality, what is the portal of the next world. And we know it for a fact. We have Eretz Yisrael today for 75 years, the land of Israel. We are the most inventive. America is equal or, or second basically to, a, to a, um, sorry, Israel is second to America in venture capital investing because they are so creative, people just keep giving them money because they keep inventing so many things. The whole miraculous existence of the Jews in Eretz Yisrael is based on this understanding. It's based on the fact that Eretz Yisrael is the portal for all creativity in the world. And it's manifesting. And you gotta be crazy not to see it. It begins with Hashem's promise to Avraham, it continues with Yitzchak making himself that kind of a holy individual in that very place that is the access point to the heaven. And it continues with Yaakov knowing that the angels that go up and down the ladder are there to serve the purposes of the Jewish people because the Jewish people are the future of the world. They are the ones that will bring all the creativity to the world. They are the ones that will bring all the goodness to the world. And the angels are now committed to the protection of the human being. That is the purpose of man. So the stuma, I'm sorry, the psucha that begins with Yitzchak, you cannot leave Eretz Yisrael, concludes with Yaakov sees two camps of angels, the ones from the heaven 
that are from Eretz Yisrael and the ones from the heaven that attend to him in Chutz Eretz, because the angels that are heavenly are in service to the Jewish people. And that is one theme in the Torah. Exactly what happens with Esav, okay, that's part of the story, but it's another story. Because the message of this psucha, this one big chapter in the Torah, is that Yaakov has become the paragon of the true human being in the world. The angels are in subservience to Yaakov and to his future. And the portal of heaven is open because Yitzchak is a perfect example of what a human being needs to be in order to be truly connected to God. To be truly connected, we have to have that same of kind of willingness and that same kind of sacrifice that we are in service to whatever God wants. And then we get access to that portal. There's a reason that we're supposed to say the Akedah every day. It's not just because it's a cool story. It's not just because it brings merit. It's supposed to be the way that we live, just like the Shema is supposed to remind us of the dedication of giving ourselves over to Hashem. But it's not only because, hey, that's an obligation and we're, we're supposed to do that. It's because that's the ultimate human being experience is to be connected to Hashem that way. Pardon my borrowing a term. That's the Zen of mankind. That's really the ultimate you know, way that we are supposed to exist. And because of that, Yaakov sees these two camps. And the two camps, a camp by definition is a transient um, entity for a purpose. And the purpose of these uh, temporary camps of angels is they're supposed to be in heaven, right? If they're out of heaven, they're not really part of the, uh, they're not really part of the, you know, um, what's where they're supposed, where they belong. So they're a camp when they're visiting and helping whatever's happening in outside Eretz Yisrael for the Jewish people, whatever's happening inside Eretz Yisrael for the Jewish people. Now, I know I'm not the only one that's heard of all the miraculous stories um, I, I, I'm even on a chat where people are getting annoyed that the same miraculous story is being posted too many times, right? But we know there's tons of miraculous stories that are happening in this war, and we know the tons of miracles that have happened throughout our current occupation in Eretz Israel, 1948, the Six-Day War, the Yom Kippur War, all the other, what is it now, 50,000 missiles that haven't injured almost anybody? I mean, it, it's just like, there's no ability even to comprehend the fact the, that the Jewish people experience these endless miracles and heavenly protection because they are a heavenly people with access to the heaven. And what we have to do is make sure that we are carrying on this legacy. Somebody just posted 13 hostages free now. I know that for some people that might be a sore subject. Nonetheless, we can be confident that Hashem is interested in continuing to protect us and continuing to help us innovate and create, provided that we are living the dignity of a human being, of give, being given over to Hashem just the way Yitzchak did, and being completely dedicated to building our people the way that Yaakov Avinu did, and that is one psucha in the Torah. Let's do questions and comments. Okay, I think we have, don't forget if you can to raise your hand or on, you know, your electronic hand, but we have Dr. Horowitz. 
I don't have an electronic hand. I was starting yeah. to think when you were saying what ties together this big pasukha. I, I was I didn't know anything about the angels and stuff, but it seemed that Eretz Yisrael is oh, there's certain nisyonos that have to happen to get Eretz Yisrael. Avram Avinu had finished with his nisyonos and with the need to uh, leave to, to have a famine and be thwarted from going to where there was more food. Was the beginning of uh, Yitzchak's Nisoyon, and somehow his Nisoyon, and Yaakov Avinu's Nisoyon are kind of tied together in one thing. And it's not until Machanayim that they finish their chapter of Nisoyon, and now uh, we can go in and get Eretz Yisrael. Now, I'm just wondering if there's any connect, any anything you see in that. That's, that that was out what I was thinking. Yeah, that's a, went the... off on the angels angel story. Yeah, that, that's an excellent point. Yes, uh, Dr. Harris is referring to a well-known teaching of the rabbis that Eretz Yisrael is acquired through suffering. Let me just tell you one more thing. We sure. had some problems on the thing. Uh, we we uh, went to the, we, we put an Israeli flag in the inside of our window in our condo and some pictures of hostages. And uh, while, we, while we're doing this, somebody sounds like they picked a fight with my wife. They knocked on the door and she answered the two people that were shouting and screaming at her. Her and when I closed the door here, she went outside closed. I don't know how that turned out, but just to wow. say they're crazy, they're crazy deep in uh, in South Florida. Wow. Assuming that was uh, the, assuming that was what the problem was. Yeah. So um, actually, Dr. Horowitz, um, if you take from me, um, Rebuttal Thomas Gutman is what his name uh, shows. Um, he sent me a beautiful conversation, uh, which I didn't get to listen to the whole thing, but I think that would be very uh, wonderful for you to listen to as well. Um, Rebuttal, you want to say something? Just, just a beautiful, beautiful situation, and it's very true that you only get there to show with, with pain. I think Raylan Haba also only comes with pain. I think it's second yep. part. So everything, yep. every good thing comes with pain. The only thing I want right. to mention to you, it's very interesting that the, if you look into the Gemara and Brachas, the wing, normal angels jump, two, four, five. Not all the angels have wings, only the seraphim have wings. And it's very interesting that most, as you see, a leon only went to the sky, didn't have wings. So the mm -hmm. fly up and down, I don't know how it happens, but it doesn't look like it's happening through wings. So most angels don't have wings, only the high up, that's what it sounds like that I look through a nachan everywhere else. But the wings are only, it looks like they're very high angels that they had wings. That's all I wanted to bring Interesting. Out. Okay. Appreciate it. Thank you for everything you sent me. I, I didn't finish everything, but uh, thank you. Well, one of them is pretty dangerous if you listen to. I just wanted to send you to see that okay. Israel is still in all factions that are having problems, a very big problem. That's all I wanted to show you. Okay, so we'll talk about it. Uh, but just to go back to Dr. Horowitz's point for one one uh, brief moment, yes, I, I do think that there's a, a good amount to be said for the fact that Yaakov and Yitzhak go through a lot of suffering, and maybe that does correlate. Uh, it's interesting that the confrontation with Esav is not quite part of that, but uh, but definitely it's a it's it's a very interesting point, and it should be it should be true. Should be. Anyone else? Question or comment? But it's it's a little bit of an aside, but uh, it's it's very curious that we have in our own midrash and fairly credible uh, history of superhuman beings or 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 non corporeal beings or maybe quasi corporeal beings, whatever they are, uh, having relations with human beings and begetting children, because this is something that we 
kind of a question when it's brought about in, in other religions of having uh, uh, ha having births that are that that are combined from a divine source and a human. So, is there any subsequent commentary or thought on that, and 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 and, and did this in some way feed that uh, that theory uh, back in that time that such things are possible? Okay, so uh, it's a subject I don't know a ton about, but definitely um, through um, throughout really um, the Chumash, we have references to the children of the giants. It comes up in the book of Devarim uh, and. And that the giants seem to be uh, coming from, you know, these nephilim. Um, so that for sure exists. I would maybe argue that that is kind of one of Moshe Rabbeinu's last uh, battles and stands is actually to get rid of the giants in a sense, because that kind of uh, what what ended up happening is that it seems that they became a, a sort of imperialistic type people, and um, and uh, that's part of conquering Eretz Israel the first time. That's the shear that we gave um, uh, maybe last year. Don't remember the year before that on the Friday morning, Friday afternoon. Uh, but in terms of if this is a basis for the you know other either religions or you know mythologies talking about this stuff, I don't know. We definitely have a lot of midrashim about giants, and it's not only midrashim; uh, it's also psukim, also in Tanakh uh, with Goliath and and so on. Um, so it seems that, uh, for sure, there's a, a lot to go on, but, um, I, I can't tell you much about, you know, how the, how the, uh, genealogy is supposed to work. It's, it's, it says, it says in the Sorum that when they came down, they became humanly like, like Leon, some sofa writes, when the Leon needs to come down, he needs to put up a body and he needs to go up, he needs to take off the body. So somehow that's what it sounds like when you get into this world. And you become somehow more human. You, you yeah. become a human. It's not like yeah. it's not like you, there's, there's no no spirituality. One of the reasons is you see that uh, the Moshe Feinstein writes that by the by the, the load daughters have to have kids because the Torah is telling there's no such thing you have a human kid without having two people, a man and a woman. Period. And that's why the false religion there's no such a thing as godly stuff coming out. Yeah. Um... Yeah, no, that's for sure. There, there definitely seems to be that they acquire some human characteristics. My father learns in general that when an angel comes into this world, they're even capable of more free choice than an angel is normally capable of, like you find uh, by the angels of Sodom, that they seem to say something that they shouldn't say. Um, in addition to that, um, Dr. Horowitz is pointing out about Rafaim. Maybe there's a weakness to them, but in general, they're referred to as very strong people. And uh, Sharif has pointed out that Moshe Rabbeinu is part angel. And I would say it's not because he was created part angel, but he was able to transcend and become angel-like, as in, for example, he didn't need to eat or drink on Mount Sinai for a minimum of 40 days and 40 nights, possibly 80 and 120. And in general, I do think that Moshe Rabbeinu's physical nature drastically changed, which is also why he ends up not being allowed to be with a woman. He, he he becomes a different type of human being. He's the only uh, prophet and person in Jewish history uh, ever like that. So I think that's a, an excellent parallel. Tosis and Shabbos says because he wanted it. But God said that Aharon also spoke, Aaron also spoke, but they didn't want it. If the Tosis said it because he wanted it, he got it. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's a good point. Like that, that's what choices in this world. Yeah, you can't okay. get away from a woman. That's no, no, no choice. <laughs> Excellent. Um, and Sharif, uh, it's good to know they're hanging in Israeli flag. Good. <laughs> Do it at the University of Miami. God willing, God willing. No, I was very inspired because um, I think Mr. Horowitz was describing his wife's going through it at the front door. And uh, if I got the right person, I'm not sure. But, uh, but you know, and, and what you put in the window, and although there are some risks that are involved, if this isn't the time to stand up for who you are, there is never a better time. And, and I have a lot of respect for that. Thank you. I'm going to let my wife stand up for it because I'd have lost my temper and pushed him over the railing. Yeah, I got it. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's just sort of incendiary time we're living in. That's right. Well, Great that's, word. That's, that's I, will, I will say, I will say that storm that we had uh, last week was that flooded everything. So I have three flags that hang on my 36 foot high flagpole. Okay, which goes six feet into the ground so it can withstand hurricanes. So I have an American flag. My wife's British, so I have a British Union Jack, and I have the Israeli flag. The storm shredded the American flag and shredded completely the British flag, and the Israeli flag is completely untouched, and I had to buy two new flags to replace the other ones, and the Israeli flag is the same flag because it looks brand new. Do you have a picture? I'll send you one. All right, that's good. Yeah. That's cool. Any anybody else with a question or comment? Or we're good for today. All right. All, All right. We're good for today. Okay. Have a great Shabbos, everyone. Great to be Shabbos. Shabbos. You're good. Okay. Shabbos. 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 Shabbos, everyone.